So I invite you to turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians, and we're in the end of chapter 14, 1 Corinthians 14, a kind of a long couple of paragraphs we're going to look at today, verses 26 through 40, 26 through 40, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, my title, Open with Filters. And uh, hopefully you'll understand that in a few minutes. <laughs> Open with filters. Let's read the word uh, today. 1 Corinthians 14, 26 says, What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at the most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. Or you might say translate. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. The women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says, if there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. The Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. So my title is Open with Filters, and so I think we let's start with the openness. Uh, what we did just this morning uh, felt a little unusual. We, we don't do that too often on Sunday mornings. Just say, anybody want to say something? You know, we're, we're here. Go ahead. Talk. Uh, you don't see that in a lot of churches, right? You, not very often, and we don't do it very often very here, but I think it worked really well. Um, we should have a sense of openness. And that's where we see this in, in verse 26, right? He says, what then, brothers, when you come together, 
And then he says, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. And again, that the tongue is a known foreign language, and it would have to be translated uh, in order to be beneficial to the hearers. Let all be done for building up. So let's start with this idea that I think is actually sadly missing in the church. The church has become a spectator sport. Or perhaps it's become like, you know, I go to Safeway, um, and, you know, I'm not really looking to give anything there. I'm not there to help Safeway, right? <laughs> I'm there to get milk. I'm there to get something for me. <laughs> What's in it for me? That's why I'm here. I'm a consumer. And I, I want things to be uh, meeting my needs. Well, that's the wrong motivation to go to church. You, we should come to church. He says, let all things be done for building up. I'm going to emphasize that just a little bit. We should come to church ready to build each other up. You're needed here not for everything that you're going to get, your gallon of milk and your half and half. Uh, you're needed here because God has a what a job for all of us in the body of Christ. Let me look at that, uh, try to establish that from, from Holy Scripture. So first, we're going to start with be prepared for worship. There's a sense of preparation in verse 26. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. Come prepared. Come prepared to sing. Uh, we say this all the time. Uh, for example, we read a psalm every week. And today it was not 82, was it? It was 72. 72, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, he misspoke and said 82. That helps you to remember what it was. So get, just wild guess. What do you think we might be reading next week? 70. Three! You know, it's like this is not advanced math. Uh, I would highly encourage you to read over Psalm 73 sometime this week. Read it over with your family. Uh, prepare. Be prepared for worship. Uh, Paul says, come, some of you come ready to sing a hymn. We should be prepared to sing together from our hearts. Encourage one another. Uh, as we come together. Look at this uh, verse 26 that at the very end here. He says, let all things be done for building up. It's a nice Greek word, oikodomain. The first part, oikos, you've perhaps heard of that once in a while. Like we have a, we used to have a missionary in France. He went off and started doing something else, but he had a ministry in uh, Paris. He called it oikos. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Oikos means house or home. And it it's a building. It's a place of gathering. It's a place where people feel safe and secure. Where it's where you are personally encouraged and built up. He says, let everything done for building up. Build. I think I have a, a point on that. There we go, yeah. Thrice building, build, build, build. Why do you come to church? Is it so that you will be built? 
I challenge you to look at it the other way. We, we, we're here to build. You have a, I should come to church. I have a job to do. God has gifted me in some way. Uh, there's going to be some person there uh, that I need to pray for, uh, some concern I can share, some experience I've gone through uh, to, to build someone else up to encourage them. As a pastor, uh, I, I've heard a lot of excuses as to why people quit on church. And here, here's the thing, I'm preaching to the choir. You're the people that didn't quit, right? <laughs> you're, you're here, right? Some of you are even traveling on vacation, and you're in church uh, today, and that's a wonderful thing. My, my wife and family, we always do that too when we're traveling, always go to church on Sunday. But here are some typical excuses that just fly in the face of God's word. One is, well, I don't get anything out of it. It says you should go to build up other people. So when you're saying I don't get anything out of it, that's probably because 49% of the other people are saying the same thing. I'm here to meet my needs. I'm here to meet my needs too. Well, jolly good for you. You know, <laughs> I don't care. I don't even care who you are. Uh, wrong attitude, wrong consumerism. Uh, yes, that works for Safeway. I'm not really there to build relationships. I'm just there to get my milk. Um, here's another similar idea. Well, I don't know anyone there. Just think about that. <laughs> so you're not going to go to church because you don't know anybody there. Well, is it conceivable that you should go to meet people <laughs> to get to know somebody else there? Uh, isn't that a part of, hey, go to church prepared. We come together uh, to love and to get to know each other. And, and here's another. I think it's a, you know, here I, I, I'm a TV preacher. You know, I'm, I'm on five times a week, uh, local Comcast Xfinity uh, cable. And I have, you know, I'm sure millions of viewers. <laughs> I might. I don't know. I probably don't. But anyway, I am a TV preacher, right? But here I'm against TV church, right? Because so many Christians, you know what's happening to Christians all across the United States? Well, I don't go to church. You know, it's a hassle. I've got to, got to get out there. And I don't know anybody there and I don't get that much out of it. It makes me kind of uncomfortable. And it's sort of like fresh, real life, and I'd rather have a, you know, a can, something predictable. So what? I watch church on television. My great substitute. I'll turn in Charles Stanley, you know. It's all there. It's ready. I get what I need, and I don't need the church anymore. Uh, I, I, I think that goes directly against the whole meaning of Paul in 1 Corinthians. He has so much emphasis on we, we should all view the fact that we all have a spiritual gift that is given to us by God for the purpose of building up the church. Jesus said, great words, I will build my church. But you know how he does it? He turns to broken human beings like Peter and Paul and you and I and says, you feed the sheep. You take care of the flock. 
You participate. You come prepared to minister and to serve. Look with me at a couple of these review passages. First uh, Corinthians 12.7. Everyone has one. That was my sermon title on this little section of Scripture. First Corinthians 12.7. It says, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Somebody, somebody read that out for me. 12.7. John, you have that back there? Bless you, my brother. Okay, is that true? Which part of the Bible is not true? Okay, that's true. So let's let's point to the person in this room that that does not apply to. Okay, you get the point. I'm laboring the point. But you know why I'm laboring the point? Because the consumerism and the mass anonymous worship experience of America is denying this point. You know who's gifted? Well, that hired pastor and those hired musicians, they're gifted. And we come to what? Consume. We're here to take. We're here to be blessed. Now, I'm not against being blessed. I think that's a great idea. <laughs> but it's not biblical to think that's it. That's what the, the religious Christian experience is. No, to each. And, and this is not a first century item only. Right now, this is not rescinded. All of us, God has given us a gift for the common good. And remember, uh, back in 1024, I really liked this verse as well. Uh, here it's actually in a slightly different context, but it's the same principle. 1 Corinthians 10.24 Let no one seek his own good. See, that just goes against the flesh. What is the flesh? I mean us. Who we are before we're redeemed that we carry still into our salvation life this part of us that's so hard to get along with. <laughs> the part of us that always is rebelling against God in our hearts. That part of us that responds to temptation saying, yeah, that's a pretty good idea. That's the flesh. And the flesh says, no, no. Let no one seek his own good. No, I'm here to seek my own good. But the Word of God says, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Everyone has one. We're here to seek how to build each other up. And God has given all of us a spiritual gift to be used in the building up of the body of Christ. There's several lists. I did actually bring that data with me today, but it's, it's still on our webpage. Go to fbcmonterey.org. I put up a little um, chart there with all of the lists of biblical um, gifts. And there's several lists. And it's not supposed to be exhaustive, uh, but it's, they're examples of the way God gifts us. Uh, you can see it in, in, in little things like uh, somebody has gone through a health crisis and then eight years later, they're there to support and counsel and, and explain and hold hands and pray with somebody going through a health crisis, right? That, that's a spiritual gift God has given. Uh, another individual is like really good at uh, financial accounting. And there's a gift called the gift of administration. 
They're good at administering. And they, they're to use that for God's glory in the church. There's one gift called helps. You know, well, I'm just good at helping people. Well, that's what God's enriched you with to build up the body of Christ. It's not minor. Uh, it's not in, insignificant. So use those gifts for God's glory. Come together and be prepared for worship. Now, uh, this is my final bullet on this. This is the beauty of a smaller church. You know, every pastor would love to have, you know, the problem of, well, we have to add a fifth service on Sunday morning. You know, it's, you know, something we wouldn't say, oh, that's a really bad thing. No, that sounds like a good thing, right? But what happens with that? More and more anonymity. You like that word? It means no one knows who you are. They, it literally means they don't know your name. You're just, uh, you're a face, uh, if you're even that. And, and that's the beauty of a smaller church. It's like this, uh, you know, not to pick too much on the swans, but they, they come in. It's a wonderful family. They plug in. They serve. They do what they can do. Uh, I don't think John's taught a lot of Bible in public before, but he taught men's breakfast and did a fantastic job. We hear that all the time. It's the coolest thing. Uh, men who've been Christians for a long time and women who've been Christians for a long time will come and say, wow. At your church, I was able to teach. At the other church, they never, never let me do that. Uh, we, we let you do that. We hold your hand. We might give you some suggestions, you know, but we've had like so many women teaching in the women's group and men teaching in various formats. It's, it's a blessing. It's, it's exciting. Um, and so there's just many, many ways to apply this idea. Be prepared for worship. Come prepared. And don't just look at it as something I do to get something out of it for myself. Okay, so that's the openness. And it's, it is the beauty of the small church. It's, and I'm sure it's the beauty of the big church. Too. Big churches need a lot of service as well, huge amounts. Uh, and I wanted to say this too. Let's say that God is sort of nudging you about something you would like to do. Um, in the church. Now, we don't literally want you to just like stand up and start doing it. Uh, we'd really rather you come and talk to us. Uh, but we will bend over backwards to help you make that happen. Uh, and we've had many examples of that here. Uh, we'd love to, if you, you know, God is nudging you about something, follow through on it. Talk to us. Let's see how we can help and, and work together with that. Now let's talk about the, the non-controversial part of this passage. Uh, <laughs> he claps by himself and he giggles by himself. <laughs> he stands alone. Filters. Open, yes open, but there's a lot of filters, filtering, checks, and balances in this passage of scripture. Uh, first of all, look at the Holy Scripture, and I, I for one, am totally convinced that the translation tongue is unfortunate because it is the Greek word tongue, but it meant, it meant language, um, foreign languages, and that's what it clearly means in this passage of Scripture. So there was a spiritual gift where people just 
miraculously and unexpectedly to themselves could start speaking in, let's say, Mandarin. Perfect Mandarin. You know, we have guys and gals up on a hill here sweating it out for two years. The hard, hard, hard labor to learn Mandarin for the U.S. Navy or the Army, the Air Force, whatever it is. Um, because, you know, China is an important player in the world stage and we want to understand them. <laughs> um, but none of them, as far as I know, have ever received, you know, the spiritual gift of being able to speak perfect Mandarin with no study. Uh, it just it doesn't really happen today. God could do this, and he might do this on some occasion, but he doesn't do this regularly. Uh, these gifts have ceased after the first century, by and large. I've never heard of an actual gift of tongues as it is here in the Holy Scripture. But, but look at the filters here real quick about this. Foreign languages only with translation. Only with translation. He says, if anyone, if any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at the most three. So let's say you were in the first century church, you were in Corinth, and you come to church, you're together. They're going to allow maybe, maybe two individuals or perhaps three, uh, to stand up and one at a time and speak in Mandarin. Maybe not Mandarin, but you follow what I'm saying but only if there's someone there to interpret. See how that's a major filter. He says, but, and let someone interpret, verse 28. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church. And this phrase, and speak to himself and to God, it's Paul's um, little bit of satire. He's really kind of saying, just keep it to yourself. Uh, you can talk to yourself or talk to God. You're not going to blurt this out in church. You're not going to be overcome by the Spirit and unable to control it. Just blah, 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 blah. You know, no, that's not going to happen. Uh, that's, you, we're going to filter that. We're going to stop that. Why? Because spiritual gifts do not control the individual. The individual controls the spiritual gift. We have to teach this carefully because, you know, there's a whole branch of the Christian faith that operates against uh, these biblical principles. Um, but so for, for tongues, uh, foreign language only with translation, there are no incoherent vocalizations. It is a known human language. I think that's completely dogmatically taught in this text of scripture. Uh, you might, sometimes you'll even hear a preacher preaching and in the middle of the speech he has this 90 seconds of incoherent vocalizations which go untranslated or un un uninterpreted. I think from the Bible I'm saying that's just not the Holy Spirit. That's not, that's not tongues. That's just a cultural thing that uh, a certain sect of people have developed over the years because he's saying, no, you keep silent if there is no one to interpret. You can control that urge. No, don't do it without a interpreter. They must be translated and only two or three speak and only one at a time. This just flies in the face of, of again, a portion of the Christian faith that meets and you'll go to a meeting and there'll be 37 people babbling all at the same time with no thought of translation whatsoever. And I say on the authority of wor the word of God only that is not 
the spiritual gift of tongues. That is not that. Tongues is a known foreign language that can be translated. Uh, look up at verse 22. Uh, I think, uh, I think Eugene taught through this, right? Uh, look what, look what it says about the foreign languages there. Thus, tongues are a sign not for, for believers, but for unbelievers. Uh, the whole purpose of the gift of foreign languages was to communicate the gospel to unbelievers. It wouldn't make any sense for Christians to practice incoherent language noises in their home in a closet. Uh, that would make no sense whatsoever because there's no unbeliever there. There's no translation. It isn't from the Lord. That's what I believe, and I believe that Scripture is teaching that very, very clearly. That's one huge filter uh, in this text. Uh, we're covering these, but I think that's fairly well covered. Let's look at another big filter here about the prophets here. Um, only two or three prophets. So this was a spiritual, special spiritual gift in the first century where uh, an individual would be gifted by God to speak the word of God. Uh, they didn't have, remember, they didn't have what we call the New Testament at this time. And there was new revelation coming. This is new, fresh, real information from God. Uh, it wasn't, you know, we don't know exactly what it was, but it was the word of God. But even here, look how he puts it out here in the scripture. Uh, let two or three prophets speak and let eat others weigh what is said. So there's a big filter there. I don't think I can put this on the slide. It, it's to be analyzed. It's to be questioned and examined. Why, why is that? Because human beings have the great possibility of being deceived or trying to deceive or trying to make themselves look more important than they are or whatever. So there's a group of, of elders who are weighing and critiquing these extemporaneous expressions of the word of God. Let the others weigh what is said. And look at this. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, so you've got this guy who's been prepared at home. He came with a prophecy. He's speaking the prophecy. And somebody said, oh, 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 I got a fresh revelation. Sounds a little weird, but that's what it says. He says, okay, let that first one sit down and let's get the fresh new one out there right away. Um, he says, for you can all prophesy one by one so all may learn and all be encouraged. People are not controlled by their spiritual gifts. They are to control their spiritual gifts. You can see that in this prophecy. And that's what he says um, right here in verse 32. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. The spirits of my spirit as a prophet is subject to me. And so spiritual gifts are not a matter of you know, being slain in the spirit and laying on the floor, you know, acting as if you're dead. I was overcome. I had no choice. It just happened to me. Uh, no, that's not what the Bible teaches our spiritual gifts. Uh, look, remember, that's how he started the entire section. Go back to 11. Let's see. Um, 12. Yeah, yeah, 12. The first three verses in chapter 12, you recall if you were here when I taught this, um, he, it's the same issue. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. 
you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute. Actually, it's not mute. Is that mute? Yeah, it is mute. I always get moot and mute mixed up. Sorry. This is mute. I said it right. Uh, to mute idols, however you were led. You understand what he's saying there? When you're a pagan, part of their pagan worship was to submit to um, the religion and just let the thing happen to you and you're led astray, you're in a passive sense, it just something that happens to you and you're drawn in, swept away, you're floating on air, you don't know what's happening. And uh, there, look at verse 3. I think this is really shocking. He says, therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. They literally asked Paul, apparently, that question from Corinth. Excuse me, Apostle Paul, is it possible in Christian worship for someone to stand up and scream, Jesus is accursed? Is that Christian worship? <laughs> How do you even have to ask that question? It seems absurd. But it shows you the kind of commotion and lack of control that was going on in this church in Corinth. It was crazy. It was wild. It was confusion. It was commotion. And he says, stop, stop, stop. Stop that. When you were pagans, you were led astray wherever that spirit wanted you to go. But now, as believers, we are to be in control, uh, having control over our spirit. For example, I preach and teach. I think I've probably been gifted that way. I've been doing it 32 years, and it's what I've always wanted to do. Uh, but I actually work really hard on these sermons, right? I study, I prepare, I make notes, I make slides. Um, I work, it, God works through my personality, my intellect, my study, my reading of the word, my reading of commentators. Um, my, my education works through all of that, right? And, and he, hopefully he's doing what he wants to do through all of that. But I'm not supposed to just go and just say, okay, whatever you want me to say and blah, 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 blah. Um, no. He says, no, no. Uh, it, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. If, if you can stop, even with a gift of foreign languages, you stop speaking because there's no one to translate. Uh, you are to be in control. God is not the author of confusion. These are great, beautiful words. I had a uh, fourth and fifth grade teacher. I went to a small Christian school. And these were some of her favorite words <laughs> in the Holy Scripture. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. And then uh, down to uh, verse 40, beautiful words. But all things should be done decently and in order. So Paul the Apostle is coming out really strong to say, we should have a decently ordered worship experience, a decently ordered even Bible study, uh, it shouldn't be confusion or chaotic or wild and crazy uh, as as is happening in many, many churches across the United States uh, of America and the world, for that matter. Uh, I think it's unbiblical and it goes against this passage of Scripture. That is for sure. God is not the author of confusion. All right. Now, let's go to the least controversial part of this entire passage. And that is, 
the role of women in the church. <laughs> uh, Father's Day, this is a good day to cover this subject. <laughs> uh, but uh, filters, it's all about filters. It's about control and obeying God. Uh, I'm just going to really hit this as a summary. Uh, we believe the Bible. We teach the Bible straight up and don't make excuses for it in any way, shape, or form. But here's the deal. There, there are gender-related filters. It's very clear when he says, and the women. Now, verse, look at, uh, he says, uh, as in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. Now, let's just have a little uh, interest caveat here. Why? Because if you look back at chapter 11, verse 5, when he was talking about head coverings, he actually said, but every wife or perhaps every woman who prays or prophesies, prophesizes, prophesies with her head uncovered, dishonors her head. So there's this implication that women are praying and prophesying, but they're doing it in a uh, submission, a submitted way. So it, when he says the women could, should keep silent in the church, he's probably not saying in an absolute uh, categorical sense, when you come to worship, it is absolutely wrong for a woman to say anything. Uh, we allowed women to say nice things uh, about the swans. I, I'm very fully convicted that we didn't violate scripture there. Uh, we happened to be driving through uh, Memphis, Tennessee, uh, two weeks ago on Sunday morning, and we went to one of the largest Baptist churches in the United States called Bellevue Baptist Church. A, a young fellow by the name of Adrian, what's his name? Adrian Rogers used to be the pastor there. He passed away a long time ago. This huge, like 30,000 member church. Nice church. And the pastor is very biblical. Uh, it makes you very happy to see that. And there was a time when they were commissioning some people to go off and do a mission or something. And, and he actually invited his wife to come forward, uh, the pastor's wife of this massive church, Baptist, very conservative church. And he asked her to pray for the, the kids or the young people going off and doing this mission. And it just seemed really, really beautiful and nice. She, she didn't have a head covering. Uh, that's probably really culturally related. But she was clearly in submission to her husband. She wasn't the preacher. Uh, she wasn't, you know, teaching the word of God to men, but in a really wonderful way, in submission to her husband. He said, wife, I want you to pray. <laughs> uh, she prayed, and it seemed like, well, that kind of fits into this balance between uh, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 5, and 1 Corinthians 14, verse 34 and following. So this is what I'm saying, and I don't have a long time to say it. There are gender-related filters. Women are not the authoritative speakers in the church. That, that's what I believe this is teaching, and we'll, we'll, we'll expand that in just a moment. I think he's talking about a special kind of speech where they are the one controlling, they're the ones discerning, they're the ones running the service. No, they are not in that role. In a special authoritative speech in the church, that is not their role. There's a filter there. They are not permitted to teach men nor to have authority over men in church. 
So look at the a balanced passage to this. First Timothy uh, chapter 2. This is a very important passage on this passage, uh, on this topic. First Timothy chapter 2. I, I'm going to read the whole context very short. I desire that in every place men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control and not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire. They shouldn't be so gaudily dressed that they're distracting, essentially. But with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain silent. There's that same silent word. She is not the authoritative teacher. She is not the preacher. She is not the pastor. She is to remain quiet in that authoritative form of speech. And you might say, well, is that a cultural uh, thing? Very quickly, look at his arguments. His arguments are not culturally based at all, are they? He says... For Adam was formed first. That's creation. It, you know, you might say, well, does that make sense? It doesn't make a lot of sense. I don't know what, but he's saying, because Adam was formed first, women shouldn't be the preachers in church. Uh, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing. Uh, women have a special role to raise Christian children uh, for the Lord. And it's a huge, massive impact to be the mother of children. You have, on this Father's Day, all fathers would say, I'm so thankful for my wife, and I'm so thankful that she has such a huge, massive impact on our kids, and that I'm not alone in this process. No, she's saved from uselessness in God's kingdom, uh, one huge way is through childbearing and raising them if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. So, okay, this, like I said, this is fortunately the un, non-controversial part of this sermon. Uh, now this is hugely challenged. There's so many churches that totally compromise on this. Uh, there's local churches all around us that compromise on this. Denominations compromise on this, right? It's, it's really quite amazing, uh, but it, it seems so plain. They may not serve... One, one of the local pastors that compromised on this, he, he was bragging to me, honestly, this is several years ago. He said, well, I, I know women can't be elders in the church, but we don't call them elders. We call it the leadership team. So then we can have women on our leadership team. It's like, oh yeah, I'm sure God didn't notice that. You know, <laughs> you know, who are you fooling? You're trying to fool yourself. Uh, it's 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 wrong. And I think women are not to be pastors nor to preach in the church. It says, I do not permit a woman to teach, and that means uh, to be the teacher. Even even one time, she shouldn't be the teacher of men, uh, as it is related in that text. Okay, let me 
sum this up then. Why filters? Why filters? Uh, and someone's going to ask, what about Galatians 3.28? This is the compromising people really love Galatians 3.28. Let me just turn to that really quickly. Uh, I already said this, but most of you didn't hear it. I had this quick little Facebook interaction with a pastor of a church in Washington State. Uh, and he said, he's, he's compromised on this issue. And he put on his Facebook, you know, let's hear it for no restrictions for women in ministry. Can I get a witness? How, how do you sound like that on Facebook? Well, that's the way I read it. Okay. That's verbatim. Can I get a witness? And I, and I said, absolutely. I'll give you a witness. How about first Timothy 2.12? You know, let the women, I don't allow women to preach or exercise authority over God or over men. And, uh, and he, sh- he shoots back, oh yeah, but what about Galatians 3.28? Uh, this is my whole thing. He says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You know, there's just no way a biblical um, scholar, somebody who respects the, the text would say that this expression cancels out that other teaching. This is talking about salvation. And and believe me, there is no difference if you're a Jew or a Greek, a a slave or a free man, if you're a male or a female. There's no difference in your approach to God. We're all sinners. Christ had to die for all of us. And we're all the image of God. Absolutely. I believe in a thousand percent equality. You know, we're all equal uh, in value and in our natural state. That means we're all equal in, in our desperate need of a dying Savior to, to shed his blood. What did I need to save me? I needed God to die for me. <laughs> that's how bad I am. Okay, and that's equality. We're all in that same sinking boat. But that doesn't outweigh the direct teaching about roles in the church. That's just ridiculous Bible translation, I mean interpretation. Uh, no way. So uh, Paul has a really nuanced argument, and we close with this, about, well, why, Paul? Why, Paul? Just listen to his uh, nuanced and sensitive language in verse 36 and following. Or was it from you the word of God came? Or... Are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to are a command of the Lord. See how nuanced and sensitive this is? If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. By the way, after I sent back the scripture to my friend in Washington, he unfriended me. (laughs) He didn't recognize me anymore. (laughs) <laughs> so what I'm saying, friends, yes, it's very, very nuanced. Why, why, why? Here's the nuanced answer. God says so. That's it. <laughs> why? Why is this big, huge filter related to gender? God says so. Right? I mean, honestly, I can't get around it. I don't even want to get around it, but it's right here. Watch for this compromise, though. Because it is all around you. Why does it matter? He has three three ideas. Why does it matter? Because for heaven's sakes, for the sake of God, God is the source of truth. 
He says, you think the word of God came from you? <laughs> Look out, you know? And also command, the Greek word entole. This is not an option. This is a command of the Lord. Uh, don't you want to mess with the commands of God? And then he says, uh, if you don't recognize this, you're not recognized. You're, you're disqualified. You might be the best preacher in the world, but you're disqualified. You're out. You're wrong. If you compromise the word of God, and pray, pray God that I do not. You know, there is a real slippery slope. You start going down the road of saying, well, that's really uncomfortable and unpopular. Let's sort of back off on that just a little bit. Let's just ratchet it down. There's a slippery slope. That it's, then why not compromise on this issue? Like homosexuality. Look at the United Methodist Church. It's sadly ridiculous. A few decades ago, they compromised on having women in the ministry. And then what do they find now? Now we're arguing about whether practicing lesbians can be pastors of their churches. And then in Washington Post reports this last week, they're arguing about whether they should have a transgender pastor. She has, it has been ordained. There's one of their pastors. What are they preaching? You know, it is, there is a slippery slope. You know, we hold the line because it is God's line. God says so. One compromise does lead to others. Well, that's my sermon for today. Good Father's Day sermon. Happy Father's Day. <laughs> open, yes, open for ministry. You should all come with a sense of joy and anticipation uh, to worship God. And I'm here to build, build, build in your life. And you're here to build in my life. But with filters. The foreign languages must be translated. The prophets must be controlled. God is not the author of confusion, and there are gender-related filters very carefully laid out in Scripture. Let us pray. Father, in your kindness and grace, help us to submit to your word, submit to your authority. Fatherhood really is a lot about authority, and you've made this world, Father God, as as you are the God, the creator, the king we were singing about. We, we want to submit to your authority. We want to honor you in every way. So strengthen us, Lord. Give us wisdom as we think through these issues and apply them in our lives. We only always pray through Jesus alone. Amen.